You know what my favorite part of Radwood was? Last the time. sun not the sun and burn. the lack of shade? No. It was that we did an Ask Me Anything, and the best question was, can we please hear Derek clap? Uh. Yeah. Uh, instead of the clap on this episode, you're, you're free. I have video of the crowd cheering at your clap. You are unable to clap even without holding the microphone, so do it. Give them what they want. Yay! <laughs> I so I don't it. have to clap this time? Yeah, no, you do. Sorry. Psych. That one was good. The, yeah, the, the crowd went wild. Uh, this episode of Curmudgeon is part of the Haggerty Podcast Network, as always. And it is presented by Jason Camisa and Derek Tam Scott, as always. Did you often talk to, to, about yourself in third person? No, I was talking about someone else. I left out the hyphen. The hyphen. Ah, okay. Uh, and we are talking about uh, Radwood, but uh, if you're not into 80s and 90s cars, A, you should be, but B, we're also talking mm. about steering. So I don't know what thumbnail we're going to make for this episode for the, for the little clicky thing, but... Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, here we go. I got it. Rad, R-A-D, in oh, German, Lenkrad. is wheel. Yes. And so you... Lenkrad is steering wheel, but you can use the word rad as a... as just a colloquial for, like, I'm rad. So... Um, it's a steering wheel. It is a rad wood, is a steering... a wheel wood. Steering wheel wood. Wood steering wheel. Mm-hmm. Wooden steering wheel. We went to a wooden steering wheel show, and we're going to talk about both. Okay. Bye. I am sunburned in the weirdest places. (laughs) That's not a better start. Okay, ready? What the? (laughs) How did that even happen? That's from the ridiculous outfit that I wore at Radwood. Uh Okay, I am very... Very highly disappointed at Radwood this year for one reason. No one was in costume. I said costume. Period attire. Is it, that true? Yeah. I, th- I feel like in years past, a good third to half of people were like over the top 90s and 80s garb. And then, you know, like overall 75% of people were in, you know, like stuff. But, you know, the, and, and when they have the contest of, like, who's going to win, you genuinely don't know, like, who's got the best costume, the raddest costume. And I feel like this year, like, five people got on stage, and I'm like, yeah, those are the, oh, the other five people who look like morons. Um, putting myself in there, but I did not enter the competition. Um, yeah, I mean, I went, I went scouring, and I went to a store. And I don't store. I don't shop. I don't do that. But I went, and I found a vintage, somehow, white nylon jacket that said the heartbeat of America on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then short shorts and tube socks and, the whole, and a friggin' wig because I look stupid without it. You looked like Whitney Houston in the blonde wig. Thank you. I, I, <laughs> I think. Every time we were on that stage, all right, we'll back up and explain this. But every time I turned around and saw you, I laughed. And I just kept taking videos and photos of you because I just expected you to go, bye-bye. I don't do crack. Crack is cheap. (laughs) Oh, that didn't age well. Why you do crack? No, for Whitney Houston. Oh, yeah. She was was lying. Drugs are bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, that was Radwood themed. Yeah. Uh, We are a little late on our Radwood uh, summary. I mean. That was a couple weeks ago. Let's blame it on Paolo. He had other things to edit. Like the other episodes that we recorded? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. But okay, uh, Radwood happened a couple of weeks ago or whatever. I don't know when this episode's going to air. Um, but we are still sunburned from it. Uh, yes. Um, and this is Radwood NorCal. So yes. Radwood started in Northern California. Um, this is the first time it was ever in San Francisco proper. Mm-hmm. Um, our good friends at Radwood... Um, often find the coolest locations um, where you uh, wouldn't expect to have a car show. Uh, I remember there's one Southern California location that was a German restaurant that had this gorgeous parking lot with trees and little like hills. Oh, and I didn't planters. see that one. That was a wasn't it rainy that time or, mm-hmm. or gray out or something? I didn't go to that one. They had a I mean they had a huge tent and in the tent was a, a guy doing BMX tricks and the the whole show is really well done because it's 80s and 90s themed and every part of it is 80s and 90s themed. The music, to the outfits, and just like you know BMX riders and stuff like that. Um, this location was downtown San Francisco on the Embarcadero um, on a pier, um, which was pretty cool because there was a huge 
boat, ship, whatever. Yes. Thing. Uh, it is a great... Actually, that place is sometimes available, sometimes not for photography. I, I used to take a lot of car pictures there. Sometimes you can get in there, sometimes you can't. But it, I've always... I mean, it's so stunning. It's a stunning location. So uh, it was great to see the show there. I know that there had been a sort of Radwood long... How long has Radwood been around? 2017, maybe? 18? 17? I don't know. Uh, but they've always wanted to do an event at that location because mm -hmm. it's a really striking location. Uh, so they finally did that, uh, and it's very visually remarkable. It's cool. Not I mean, a lot of shade, and we learned why. <sighs> Apparently permitting for, for tents and stuff is like just absolutely hugely onerous and expensive there. So I, I can guess understand they why. considered it. But uh, I mean, was, you're, you're basically right across the bay from another airport um, and you don't want your tent to go flying <laughs> off the pier and like hit Oakland Airport, hit a plane or something. Um, no, I mean, it, it, my feedback on this was it's this was a much more flat sort of geographically flat location, which allowed didn't allow for some of the vignettes that that they normally set up where you have, you know, like an F40 and a Diablo or, so, you know, some sort yeah. of little grouping up on a hill. Um, and that's the, the thing that uh, Luftgekult is really good at about, like, you just turn down an alley and you're just like, okay, there's a mm -hmm. car here and it's just, you know, this constant discovery yeah. that's happening. Um, this was a little bit more parking lot-y, but, um, yeah. but uh, we did have... But it made up for in other respects. Oh, yeah. Our cars had, uh, so the, the Rover and your Citroën mm -hmm. had sort of... They were up on a hill presiding over yes. everyone else, which was looming. really cool. Looming. Although there was an Unimog looming behind that. There was an, that. an Unimog, yeah. Um, what a wild show. I mean, um, every that the things that impressed me, that Cavalier RS convertible. <laughs> I don't have a picture of it, so I don't have to worry about an insert. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of well-preserved... Yes, we unloved, always talk about this. It's, you know, it's easy to go find a 911. It's easy to go find a Countach. It's easy to go find a F40. It's I, not easy. For you. No, no, like if you just go to like a car show, there's a chance you'll see these things. You know, they're preserved. They have a lot of headspace in the minds of enthusiasts. People yeah. make content about them, which breaks the internet when it does happen. But, you know, when was the last time you saw a Twilight Blue Buick Regal GS with all the Olympics shit? You know, or there was a supercharged all-wheel drive Previa that was mm -hmm. spectacular. I mean, the paintwork was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It was like unmarked. Like, where does this stuff come from? I mean, it's it just, you know, and of course, every time there's a Ratwood, we always talk about this. You know, it's a bit of a broken record thing, but that is where the value lies. I mean, for me, it's, it is, like you said, a, a fully curated experience in the sense that it's like momentarily you've stepped back in time. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of time capsuling that happens. Uh, and we, I think the cars like the 911 or, or, or Testarossa are so evergreen that they've been preserved and admired for their whole lives. But uh, those two Peugeot 505s next to each mm -hmm. other were not. Yes, They were exactly. mostly gone. Uh, the white one was missing this year. I was disappointed. Mm -hmm. The one with few the license plate. Yeah, a few left. How, how we both remember that is pretty... Uh, <laughs> well, it's an incredible license plate. There were two BMW 850 CSIs there. And neither of them was like black or yeah. silver or gray. Yeah. They were both colors. Uh, uh, there were two smoke silver 124 Mercedes wagons. Uh, yes. Yeah. I left was, notes on both of them and talked there about There was the a lowered one and there was an unlowered mm -hmm. one. Yeah. I felt a little bit bad about the one that was parked next to my car. Because yours looks so much better. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just cooler. It's it's just a cooler configuration. I mean, this is the, the reason why I bought my car was because I was like, I want one that's in a color. And then I was like, well, if I'm going to get one in the color, all the ones in the U.S. are white or silver or black or smoke silver, mm -hmm. which, you know, just uninspiring. And they're all automatics. And so, you know, th those two cars parked next to each other to me was just like, this is exactly why I did what I did, which was go through all this trouble to bring a car back from East hell in order to have a car that was you know exactly the one that i envisioned because i didn't want another smoke silver one and this guy you know the the, the one that you was gorgeous i mean ah, it had stunning. it had uh wheels from a 210 e430 on it or something like that but otherwise you know very time warpy it had the leather interior which is a nice option and the guy was obviously obsessive about it he was one of those people who loomed next to the car for most of the event and anyone who came within earshot then you'd get the full treatise on the car you know and I am the opposite at a car show. As soon as the car's parked, I like walk away yeah. from it. 
Uh, and then, you know, if someone is like, ask me a question, I might walk them over to the car and be like, here, show, I'll show you this thing. But generally speaking, I'm out seeing the show instead of, you know, presiding over my car in a, a lawn chair, uh, telling everyone who comes by. It, for me, it's seeing other cars. I'm not right. less interested in talking about my own car. So anyway, yes, two smoke silver uh, wagons. Yeah. Uh, what else did we see? That which both of, both of which I invited to the Bruno Sacco show. That yeah, we so we keep have. peppering people with the idea that this is going to happen. It will happen. Well, it better happen because you know that's you've what, now invited. That's why people. I just brought it up. Yeah, I keep inviting yes. people. So the idea is that in November it's Bruno Sacco's ninetieth birthday, the twelfth Sunday. Sunday. God, I don't want to even commit to a date, but yes, November twelfth he turns ninety, um, and we thought we should have a. Bernasaco Cars and Coffee slash show event. And it, I think it was my idea because I'm stupid to have one of every single body style of cars that he made in smoke silver, which is a sort of Bruno Sacco color. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one missing 124 was the wagon. And there were two of them. And that's the Radwood story to me. Like, damn it, where the hell am I going to find a smoke silver 124? We- oh, two of them? Just, Pre-facelift I mean, same thing and for, post-facelift? I'll take both. And the same thing for 850 CSI, because yeah. I know you have a major erection for those cars. You want to make a, um, a an episode of Revelations yeah. about that. Yeah. So now you have a couple of possible Two of them, resources. a purple one and a blue one. I mean, that's just so cool. Um, Daytona Violet. There was techno. no, let's, let's think about things that were missing from Radwood. No 405s. No four. Is that really what? That's really weird. That's Why exactly was that exactly what I was going to say? Yeah, no Peugeot 405. Uh, that was conspicuous by its absence. Uh, uh, there were no Lamborghinis. There was no F40. There were no crazy supercars, right? There was an Esprit, mm-hmm. two Esprits, two Lotus. Uh, yeah, there was a white one, the 40th anniversary with the blue interior, which is owned by the same guy who owns the blue 850 CSI. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was a white Series 3 Turbo with a. Uh, red graphics on mm. it which is also i think even maybe potentially more maximally radwood that's more 70s yeah. it, it's less contemporary less con- right there was a uh, oh and there was a yellow uh s4 oh, that's right yeah there were two. i think there, uh, i know there was a yellow and a white so i didn't realize there were two whites but there uh, were no there were no diablos no countach no yeah, there were no lamborghinis at all no ferraris there were 328s and Mondials. And oh, there was, that's Testarossa. right. There were two Mondial. Mondial and a Mondial T. Yeah, bl- a black. Open I never one. made it to that upper lot. Uh, I strolled through briefly. That's So here's the problem. Not only has Radwood turned into a little bit of a work thing, car shows have turned into a little bit of a work thing for me because people come and talk, which is awesome, but I never get to see the car. And the Rover... Had a crowd around it the entire day. There was not one time where I didn't look over the car and there were people around it. And I had to walk past that car to get up onto that next parking lot where mm-hmm. a lot of the really cool stuff was. And I yeah. never made it yeah. because I would walk past the, the the rover and everyone was like, hey, what about this? What about yeah. that? Same thing happened with the Citroen. Yeah. I was shocked that by the amount of interest that this Citroen especially garnered. I was, I mean, I was basically assigned to the Citroen and you were assigned to the Rover. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was surprised by people's interest and enthusiasm for, for that car. You know, the, I, I think that the Citroen episode of Carmudgeon didn't do that well. People didn't really care that much. Well, uh, people so don't I was surprised. know they care until they get to interact with somebody. Yes, that's actually exactly the point I was hoping to make or trying to make. Well, I didn't know it until I was making... I had this thought the other day, which is that it's a car that if you experience it firsthand, you're like, holy shit, this thing is cool. Uh, But if you are not out exposed to it... And I had this exact thought this morning because I got this email from Gooding and it was from the estate of... It was The subject is from the estate of... You know, it's going to be some bunch of dead person cars. (laughs) Uh, And of course, it's all like pre-war Cadillacs and Packards and stuff like that. And I'm like... Man, like I have this, my my first reaction when I see the email is like, ugh, dead person cars. It's going to be some pre-war stuff that nobody cares about. Uh, and then I'm like looking through it and I'm like, yeah, it's a bunch of pre-war stuff that nobody cares about. And then I'm like, I actually really like these cars. I like interacting with them. I like driving them. They're, they're a, f- a pleasure to behold. And it's one of those things where if you take a person who is a car enthusiast who knows nothing about those cars and doesn't give two shits, or half a shit, or however many shits about this car. You put them in front of the car, and then they're like, ah, oh, this is actually genuinely interesting. Right. And you walk them around, you say, here's six interesting things about it. And then they're like, wow, I like these things now. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. Uh, and the Citroen and pre-war cars, and you know, generally, many types of cars that you don't think you're interested in uh, are probably like that if you have occasion to interact with them. And this is why I go on 
tirades about people not squirreling things away or only showing them at concours d'elegance. I mean, the, the real gritty God's work is to get out there in, I don't know, at Cars and Coffee or something with these cars that nobody gives a shit about and just be like, talk to people. Mm -hmm. I'm now doing the thing, which I said I don't like to yeah, do, which is to stand next are. to your car and tell everybody <laughs> who comes by to let me show you how relevant and cool this is. But uh, I mean, I, I think that for the majority of people out there who don't give shits about these things, like if you had an occasion to ride in one or interact with one or see it up close or to have someone who knows the car really intimately tell you five minutes worth of stuff about it, you'd be like, wow, this is super cool and interesting and amazing. That would be... I mean, look, that's the point of Revelations and BTS with DTS, right? It's to make people fall in love with these cars. The problem is to get them to click on the link in the first place. You know, mm -hmm. they see the thumbnail that's a car they care about, great, they'll watch it. If it's a car I mean, they yeah, don't. It's like I barely clicked on the Gooding email with a bunch of dead person cars right. in it. And yet, if this is my problem with like Pebble Beach, for example. Like, you know, car week is just overload and whatever. It's too much from start to finish. Mm -hmm. But you never get that opportunity to just interact with yeah, one car. It's all very superficial. Right, and so when you have four hundred cars in it, you a, just walk by line, it, and it doesn't—it doesn't make a dent pre -war on you. It's another pre-war car. It's another yeah, pre-war it car. Make, no one cares. Yeah. I wish, honestly, there would—you know—they would have much more like Villa Desta. But like, I wish Pebble Beach was ten cars. Yeah, like, wouldn't that be amazing if it was just ten cars and you would go there to learn? There were sheets. There were you know a guide or something. You could really learn about all these cars and look at the intricacies of how they were built. And heaven forbid, see them in motion, for example. Oh I mean, just yeah. hearing them yeah. is, is like. You're like, wow. Well, the tour, so Pebble Beach did it, always did a tour that was quite yeah. a quite a long tour. And the, and yeah. I think we've talked about this before, but I would I found a, a location, thanks to some friends that are local, um, where the cars all come down this big hill. So I think it's Thursday. So the show yes, is Sunday. Thursday morning. Thursday morning, all the cars line up and they drive around and this is bonus points. It's basically like a tiebreaker point that mm -hmm. they get if they complete this, this road rally. Um, so they would all leave and follow this prescribed route. And there's one spot where there's, uh, there's a 90 degree right at the bottom of a pretty significant hill. Um, and then they, it's a T, so they can go straight, thank God, because some of the cars can't stop in time. You know, you know, the brakes are overheated. Most of them make it, almost all of them make it. And then they make that right, and it's a very steep hill. Um, and there's nothing cooler than watching the, the cars interact with each other, like, you know, Rolls Royces that you can't hear. Yes. Literally quieter. And by the way, the roads are open to traffic. So you'll have a Tesla Model 3 go by and then some sort of Rolls Silver Shadow Phaeton, blah, 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 what the fuck it is. And it's quieter ghost. than the ghost. Silver something, you know, Seraph. I don't know what it is, but some, <laughs> some 1920s Rolls Royce that's just as quiet as the Tesla, which is mind-blowing. Yes. Um, but then watching those cars and like the steam-powered cars and the three-horsepower, tuck, 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 whatever the hell they are, interact with the Grand Prix cars, the Formula One cars from the 1950s, mm -hmm. which can't go slower than, say, 30 miles an hour because they're geared so long, like the Le Mans cars. Oh my God, to watch the Le Mans cars come around the corner in first gear, flooring it because they have no choice. Um, and then watching them try to figure out how to into the back of right or how to pass on an open road or the dull yellow these cars that are doing 10 miles an hour that the, the, the Le Mans car if it stops it's not going again they'll roast yes. its clutch oh my god the drama <laughs> oh my yeah. god the no, drama. I've been to the spot it's, it's definitely so true. awesome and they it's fucking so cut that out last year it's so sketchy yeah but now that you know that's why you know, they cut it out give a fuck that that's the whole reason. I don't give a shit about looking at a parking lot of 400 cars. If I want to look at 400 shit boxes that are shiny, I'd go to a new car dealership. Yeah. Sorry, that was potentially a little bit rude to the participants of the Pebble Beach Concord Elegance. But no, there's something wonderful about seeing these cars in the real world interacting. Yep, I absolutely um, agree. And 400 of them on one grass field is just too much. Um, mm -hmm. Radwood is too much in that sense too, except that we know these cars. Yes, right? and there's so much variety. Yeah. It's just too much variety. However, for, yeah. for those who know, right? So, I mean, you can it's imagine. It's just like, why do you show up in a 911? You no, know? you shouldn't. It's no, you just, shouldn't. You should go drive. It's it. just taking up space. Right. It's making every, everyone else have to walk farther because it's filler. <laughs> it, it's true. I mean, I hate to say it. You're right. But it's it's got to be interesting to someone who's like in their 20s, like someone, you know, very early 20s. They don't know these cars. Yeah. So that it would be the same to us as, well, you know everything. You were there. But, you know, for me, I don't know anything about 60s cars. So if I walked through, you know, a muscle car thing, I don't know anything about it. And it's just overwhelming and overload. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the way that like a... a car person who doesn't know anything about motorcycles feels about motorcycles which is you know i don't know it's a motorcycle has next. Two wheels. next yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and so it's surprising to see the number of like youths who are sort of disproportionately interested in stuff mm-hmm. that, I mean, I guess this is exactly what happened to me, uh, but it, disproportionately interested in stuff that they shouldn't be based on their age or demographics. Mm-hmm. You know, the key demographic for these cars is people who are in their, I don't know, probably 30 to 50 age window yeah. or so, mm-hmm. I would guess. Uh, but there's a bunch of youths who are like disproportionately interested in cars that mm-hmm. they shouldn't be based on their age. I mean, like... I guess this happened when I was a kid, like this, there was a sort of resurgence in 70s interest culturally also. I mean, like bell bottom or, or, you know, flared pants were a thing when I was a teenager and like that 70s show probably had something to do with it. Uh, But yeah, I mean, kids are getting socialized in the, in, in the ways of the 80s and 90s, even though they were born in you know, 2001 or whatever. I mean, I think it's so funny having been there through the eighties and nineties, um, being an, ostensibly an adult in the 1990s and seeing, you know, my niece and nephew who are like, Oh my God, what it was like, what was it like back in the day? And I'm like, it was the same shit, which is, you know, worse hair, like, yeah, <laughs> more of it, yeah. um, but really badly styled on a lot of denim jackets. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, that's one of the weirdest thing about, about things about getting older is that, you know, you were there for something that so, seems so foreign to someone else. Um, yes. and so the late watch, 1900s, you know, <laughs> watching people's reactions at a show like Radwood about like, I'm trying to think like a Nissan Pulsar, uh, with the replaceable rear section, yes. which was cool then and still is cool now, but that's like mind blowing to somebody who yeah. didn't know about that. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because in period, people are like, cars have lost all their personality. Everything's digital and made of plastics. I mean, everyone was sort of reacting in the 80s. People would yeah. say that about, you know, modern cars compared to like, oh, no, real cars have chrome and wire wheels and carburetors. And now everything's fuel injected and soulless. And now we look back on stuff from the 80s and you're like, that's freaking psychedelic. Like, what the fuck were they doing? And well, so it's, that observation is not wrong, right? I mean, they did go from having metal and, and wood interiors. Yes, to but the idea that the crack. stuff that we now look at as yeah. sort of psychedelic and outrageous and peculiar and sort of dated and of a very particular time and place which is not now Mm -hmm. uh that stuff seemed plain and soulless you know they're like everything is just a bunch of plastic boxes on the on a dashboard like Mm -hmm. blah 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 and we're like we now see that we're like oh my god amazing thank god it doesn't have a fucking screen yeah and Um, so i guess at some point the the way that we about modern cars you know whatever the future holds maybe today's cars will seem positively i was thinking about that earlier today i was i rode my bike here excuse me to the studio and i was behind an e46 uh that had a terrible exhaust leak and it wasn't it it sounded at first i thought it was an exhaust on it but it was a 323i automatic and it was kind of beat up and it just sounded like the exhaust had fallen off and i remembered that as a kid you know that like my dad would call old like American cars that had that, you know, that horrible exhaust sound. They sounded bad. Um, old bombs. He was like, oh, you know, so-and-so was driving his old bomb, whatever. Um, and I realized that to kids today, right, that E46 is an old bomb, right? That was just some, a 15-year-old car. And to, to or to relatively young 15? people now. What year yeah. is it? Well, 2006 would be 17, 20 year old, whatever. Stop it. <laughs> Very dare you. Also, 323 um, was de- replaced by the 325 for model year 03, ago, I yeah. think. Uh, no, 01. 01? 01? Yeah, so 2000 would have been the last year. So that is a 20, at least a 23 year old car. Point still applies. <laughs> and the point is that kids these days will look at anything. People who are genuinely kids these days will look at anything with an internal combustion engine as oh so old school mm-hmm. in a couple of years. And that's wild to me. Anything like I'm like, oh, well, that, listen to that pile of shit. And you know, anything that makes any noise will be like, oh, why are you driving that? That's yeah. nuts to me. Yeah. Um, uh, the other interesting thing about Radwood is we did our first ever live Ask Me Anything. Um, did we? Didn't we do that last year? That was a, we recorded an episode, ah. um, but this was an AMA that was not mm-hmm. an episode so that you guys are not going to get to see it unless you're there. Yes. Um, that well, was yes. where Derek looked like Whitney. Some interesting cues that we got yeah. uh, from the crowd. There was the wonderful Canadian kid who yes, is found the, the res- Rover SD1. He's responsible for selling the Facebook ad, uh, sending the Facebook ad to Derek on the SD1 that we eventually brought in is now leaking gloriously in my garage. Um, and uh, he brought cookie crisp, which coffee I coffee crisps, co- co- coffee crisp, which I forgot to give you. That's okay. Um, I don't like coffee. 
He's a fucking heathen, ladies and gentlemen. Um, they coffee crisp is the only. I admit that for it, it's probably one of the most delicious flavored, like coffee flavored thing that I've ever consumed, and possibly also the most delicious chocolate flavored anything. It's just, it's just a hint of coffee. Anyway, he brought two bags, one for me, one for you, and he made it. He came up with a bunch of questions to stump us. Mm, yes. Um, and I got one half right. <laughs> there was a, what was the first year of production of the A class? And I'm like, oh, I think it was late 96, but a 97 model, but I was wrong. It was 97. Um, and then it was what, you know, his next question was what engines, uh, what, what cars chassis did the M88 slash S38 BMW straight six go in mm-hmm. into? And the one that he thought was going to stump us. So we, we know it started in the M1. Um, E26. Well, he asked for the chassis code. Chassis so it's code. E26. So M1, which is E26. Yeah. The, uh, the original five series M5, that was the E24. E28. Uh, I mean, E28, I'm sorry. And then the uh, M6, which is E24. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... 635, M635. Right. And then Europe. the surprise one was the South African... E23. E23. Yes. Um, so, he asked specifically about yeah. the M88, not the S38, because the S38 would also include the E34. Or the S38 would be the US yes. E20, uh, yep. E28 M5. Yep. Um, so yeah, so that was pretty cool. But he did stump us on what is the Canadian... It was some Canadian GM thing called the Sunflower Asuna or something like that. Sunfire. I, Sunfire mm-hmm. Asuna. I I, I, I had this little thing in my brain and I was like, I think it's Isuzu Impulse, but I wasn't sure. Uh, and then I... You got it right. I guessed, guessed it aloud. Correctly. So yeah, the, apparently Canada, GM had a sub-brand in Canada that was there to sell its Japanese slash Korean imports. And one of them was called the Sunfire. And what the question was, what was it? And it was an Isuzu Impulse. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Daewoo was another guess of mine. You know, I just Yeah, because you're thinking of uh, Korean Korean slash with, right uh, and there was Suzuki also so there was those are the brands right Suzuki Swift was sold in the US as a Geo, Geo Metro. Metro yeah um, so yeah anyway um, but one of the questions actually was was really I think it was the first question the first question that anyone asked us yes was a wonderful question um, and the question was when you guys are talking about steering what are the, the qualities you're actually a good a car with good steering what are the qualities you're actually looking for if I had to give a one-word answer, well, I have a word in my head. Dude. What is yours? What you're, come up with one word. Connection. I was going to say communication. I think we've just said the same thing. Yes, I think so too. So I, I didn't stumble on this until the end of my rant, but <clears throat> when you talk to an engineer from a car company today... Today. Today. I, I think actually at most points in history that's true and the the other stuff was actually an unintended byproduct yes. or consequence they are looking for precision in the steering system and what they're yes. looking for means i want the car right there i want to put the left front wheel right there yeah that's precision in the in the chassis but i think they're going one step further which is that when the wheel when the when the steering wheel is straight the front wheels will remain straight and the car's path will remain dead straight no matter what happens. So that means whether there is a single single wheel bump or there's camber to the road, one part of the system, there's no play in the system, one part of the system will m- remain rigid. And that seem, that's actually a lot harder to do than you think because cars are really flexible, right? Especially old cars. Um, and so what'll happen is as a wheel deflects from side loads or front loads or pothole loads or something, it's all, all of the places where that wheel mounts to the body in will flex and move. And I'm not talking Via about the just, suspension. Yeah, I'm not talking, well, no, not necessarily. I'm not ta- even talking about just the rubber bushings that are made to deflect. I'm also talking about the mounting points and the chassis of the car itself. Um, so you can see, I'm sure there are YouTube videos where you can see torture chests, but um, it, I think it was a Z3 um, that was on a car. I'm not going to look for this image, um, but I, I'm pretty sure it was a Z3 that was on the cover of Car and Driver years and years and years ago. And they were talking about the car's beautiful structural rigidity. And they must have been in the middle of hitting a bump um, when the when the camera shutter went off. And the, the hood was crooked. I mean, it, w- it wasn't even close to lining up. There was a huge gap on one side. This is stuff we don't see with the naked eye because it happens so quickly, but the whole car really does flex. And you can put your finger, and especially in an older car, in between the sort of door frame and the and the door while you're driving along, and you'll see that gap 
changed tremendously. Oh yeah, the old classic thing about like, don't open the doors when the car's on the lift. Yeah. <laughs> because I you won't be able to shut it. I cannot open the doors in my Volkswagen, in the Scirocco, which is a closed car. I'm the cabriolet, I understand, uh, while it's on the lift. I can, but it's... You won't, you should wait right. till it's on the ground before you close it. Yeah, well, it's not going to close. You got to really yeah. slam it because uh, yeah. you're bending everything. So I heard I had an experience where you try to shift mid-corner and the gear's not where you expect it to be because yeah. all that stuff's moving. Because everything's moved. Yeah. So that, I think, is what engineers are mostly... Uh, concerned with is the whole system so rigid and that's from the chassis to the mounting points or to the bushings so predictable to the, that the geometry underlying geometry change. yes right so they will engineer things like um for example uh the integral link for example in uh in the jaguar cars jaguar land rover calls an integral link that's actually a renaming of bmw's e60 rear suspension and that was there's one extra link in there and that link separates the ride quality from the oh my god from toe it was one other thing it was just you know a, a way of separating different things so you can have a soft bushing in the vert vertical plane plane with a pushback so when you hit a bump the wheel gets pushed back and up at the same time right obviously because it's going up a surface um but allows much better wheel control they're doing all these little things with elasto kinematics is the is the phrase where you can have stuff engineered to move very freely in one direction but very be very stiff in another and so that's primarily what the engineers are concerned with and though that's a nice thing to comment on in a road test for example i couldn't give a shit less about the overall precision of a of a, a steering system mm -hmm. what i'm looking for is is it telling me what's happening as things are happening or even better before before i'm able to perceive them in another way mm. um and the best example that i can give is other than the Lotus, which, you know, the Lotus is an incredibly rigid, precise steering system, uh, but it's unassisted uh, and you feel absolutely everything, is actually my VWs. <clears throat> so as the, that Volkswagen system, so objectively, it's overboosted. There's, there's not enough weight build um, in the corners. It's a little bit too light. By modern standards, 3.8 turns lock to lock is too much. It's very slow. It's very slow. Um, and the way that steering is mounted, the, the rack is mounted to the chassis, instead of it being bolted um, to the chassis, it's literally suspended in two rubber bushings um, that are just squeezing this rack. So imagine like a toilet paper or like a, a paper towel tube with just two rubber bushings. So it can move left and right kind of as much as it wants. It's really being located by the steering column coming in there. And then the chassis has no rigidity. So the whole thing can move all around. And so you do get on center play and you get big, huge deviations in the vehicle's intended path on one wheel bump as the whole frame of the car flexes. However, the one thing it does is as you're approaching the understeer limit, that steering wheel, I always described it as going as melting in my hands. The effort starts to build, 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 not all that much because it's overboosted, but builds, builds, builds. And right before I get to the limit, before the tires even start to make real, real noise or change in their pitch, all of a sudden the effort's gone. It goes up, up, up and gone. And right there I know I'm starting to understeer. I love that. It's one of my favorite communication communication tools. And should the back end start to come around, not only does the effort go to almost zero, so I'll be coming in, I'll know, and I can just kind of do this in the middle and there's all this, this play in the, in the steering and the tires where I'm just now at the understeer limit, but I know before I'm there, if the car starts to get sideways, it will yank the wheel back the other direction. Mm -hmm. um, and just, so the effort curve goes negative, meaning it's encouraging me to, to go the other direction. What a brilliantly communicative system and the result of that is I trust the car at the limit at all times. I feel one wheel bumps. I feel texture changes, which is now a different thing. That's a high, high frequency feedback. Right. Um, and it results in driver confidence. Yes. Because you know exactly where you sit with the car and what's yep. about to happen. I got out of, what the hell was I driving? Something very fast. Oh, Civic Type R, the new Civic Type R, which I absolutely adore. Um, and into an Audi RS2, um, which... If you know how I feel about Audi's chassis tuning, you'll uh, you'll expect me to say is terrible, um, but clearly Porsche did it because that has yeah we just some, talked about uh, last episode two episodes, two episodes ago. ago yeah some of the best steering that I've felt uh, you know in in a long time and that I actually the, the Civic Type R is uncatchable on a back road um, it is and the amount of grip that it has is unbelievable it's compliant especially the Acura type, Integra Type S is more compliant, but it's compliant. It doesn't care about bumps. It's really 
excellent from an engineering standpoint, but I drove more quickly in the in the RS2 because I knew I could feel everything and I just trusted the car more. And it, not only was I quicker, but I had much more fun. This is why we always go on and about old cars. <laughs> yeah. So that sort of feedback in terms of like, so what's not important to me is precision. Um, you know, the, the I mean, there's a minimum baseline level that you need to have. And beyond that, it's, it, it's marginal benefit is nearly zero. Right. To, to the fun factor. Yes. Um, and so Mercedes, for example, uh, a friend of mine just bought a R129, um, uh, low mileage car. And the biggest surprise to him was how unbelievably communicative the steering is. Mm-hmm. And that's a steering box. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason there are two reasons why a steering box, meaning a recirculating ball setup is not as communicative of, as a rack and pinion. Uh, number one is as the whole system ages internally, it gives more and more play. Whereas a rack and pinion doesn't do that. They don't, they don't as age, this, age the same way. Yes. Um, and number two, you have multiple links within that system. And every time you have a link between two things, you get play that uh, accumulates. Exactly. And so you have tolerance stack of, or play stack, right? So, so, you know, the, the hallmark of an old Mercedes uh, <laughs> with a worn steering box is you'll have 20 degrees of play. Your 190E My 190 is, is terrible. Uh, the most of that. Really? Oh my God, you should see my 6.9. So my 6.9 back in the day had 400,000 miles on it. And you, so there's, there were probably, I don't know, 90 degrees of play um, in the steering. And you totally get used to it. Yes, you do. Because you just pass the wheel from one hand to the other and you sort of flick it through the play because there's no resistance on that 90 degrees. Ding, ding, ding. Um, That's unacceptable. My 190 is unacceptable at this point. I need to rebuild the box. Um, But uh, the... Aside from like that sort of minimum viable product on on precision, precision, I'm looking for that sort of communication at the limit, um, which is how much change in load do I have? It's really what you're looking for. What what my absolute pet peeve when it comes to steering is the absence of force building when you turn the Mm -hmm. steering wheel as the tires work harder, the front tires work harder. That to me is the most reassuring sensation to have in a car as you are working it harder and to not have that to me is a cardinal sin in steering. That That's, for example, that was a hallmark for many years of Toyota, right? Mm-hmm. Toyota and Lexus would be so overboosted um, that it to me, it doesn't matter how steep the curve is, right? The, the steepest, in, in terms of effort for cornering load, the mm-hmm. steepest curve you'll ever see is probably an Elise. Um, unassisted, it's... Pro- Vintage 911s for Alpha 4C. Yeah. Vintage 911s. Skinny tires, so it's not as, it doesn't, it doesn't peak as high. And also a slower ratio. So mm-hmm. a slower ratio means, you know, you have more torque multiplication for everything yes. you do. So the Lotus is really quick steering and it's unassisted and they're fairly wide tires. And so you get a very steep car driver years ago did a best handling car thing. And they, uh, I remember this very clearly looking at the chart of effort versus cornering force. And it, you know, all these cars were kind of all over the place. And then the, the Lotus was this very, very steep V. Um, I don't really, it doesn't have to be that steep so long as it's progressive. Yes. Right. And Toyotas would always boost and out extant. all of that. Well, exactly. <laughs> um, would boost it out all, you know, the old GM 1970s cars where you could flick the steering wheel at 60 miles an hour and yeah. to full lock. Um, yeah. They missed that. Yes. Um, so I'm looking for a, a, a curve that's steep that, enough that it's it self-centered. Because it feels natural also, right? That's what we're looking for is, is a sensation of naturalness. And that's that has to do with this, the linearity of that build. I guess. I mean, you say naturalness, but how do we know what's natural, right? Is that from a bicycle? Like, is it from an unassisted steering? Like, what's... I think it's that the harder the tires are working, the harder you're working. Fair right? There's a direct yeah. connection between driver mm-hmm. out input and car yeah input or effort on both parties parts it's telling you what it's doing what's happening that it's working harder and so are you yeah i don't i don't uh yeah i don't mind a shallow curve so long as it's there and so long as it then changes as you approach the limit there's nothing that bothers me more than a steering that doesn't change at all as you approach and then vastly exceed exceed the limit Um, and to be honest, even like C8 Corvette is that way. C8 Corvette's got pretty good steering, but like as you turn the wheel, 
it's getting heavier and heavier and then you go right through the understeer limit and the front tires are plowing and you just keep adding steering and you don't you don't ever feel a you should be to get heavier and then lighter yeah and it should be unner it's an yeah. unnerving sensation yeah. purposely not to me because then, then it's telegraphing like you are in the like no grip zone in the uncharted territory like it's like if you're suddenly getting all this feedback and then everything becomes silent and you're just like oh shit what? yeah I better back off and yeah. you don't get that yeah. Porsche I've mentioned this before on the show um, when their first electric power steering setups realized that their test drivers were spinning cars all the time um, and what they were looking for is that rise in effort and all of a sudden the effort starts to go to zero or negative and the negative is your sign that the back end is about to come around um, and so Porsche or is coming around, is coming around. Um, and, and the reason why is obviously because all cars almost every car with with good steering geometry as the back will come out the steering wheel will self-center so it's actually trying to keep the wheels pointed in the direction that the car the front of the car is going um so porsche actually wrote a line of code that nudged the wheel in the the other direction it didn't it didn't actually start to self-center it but it but just it gave you enough of a yeah. kick to say catch this and they found that that was enough to get their test drivers to stop spinning the car and i think that's so fascinating yeah um, it's so like modern car everything about it right the engineering everything. that in its simulatedness it's all sort of synthetic uh, yeah. all in the name of reproducing what existed organically and that they before. pulled out for the wrong reasons right they pulled it out in for the name of isolation and mpgs yeah. and supplier yeah. commonality but and okay so when we're talking about steering there's other things too there's there's feedback yep um and that is Basically, the steering is only one way of communicating with you, and it's it's self it's turning itself left and turning itself right. Mm -hmm. It can't go in this in this sort of towards you and away from you direction unless it doesn't make any noises. Yeah, yeah, unless you're yeah. <laughs> deeply in need of repairs. Um, and so, what you're looking at is how well the wheel moves back and forth in your hand, i.e., the weighting goes up and down, both in low frequency situations and high frequency situations so a low frequency would be for example you're approaching a one-wheeled bump on your right hand side mid corner and or even in a straight line and porsches are great at oh, this yeah. um and your right wheel dips you know that that steering on a good system like a 996 for example 997 the wheel will dip to the right yeah so you're you have now been told hey that wheel just hit a had a hit a bump that's a low frequency because it's down up Yep. down up yep. the high frequency stuff is what tells us road texture yes um all on the fingertips the little fingertips yeah and high frequency stuff is really difficult to do with electric power steering it's one of the reasons why e-pass is so bad um yeah. was so bad and has, has been getting better so slowly um is that you have an electric motor that's geared 10 to 1 or some some high ratio um so that Tens, 10 turns of the motor is one turn of the gear that moves of, of another pinion that moves the rack over and it's there so that the motor can be relatively small and can be packaged properly in the car um otherwise you need a fucking massive you know a couple of horsepower motor um but if you think about it in the other way the other direction every little turn of the pinion so a little little movement of the steering is a lot of movement of the motor and the motors are big they're powerful and they're geared 10 to 1, which means that every single time that the steering wheel moves a little bit left or a little bit right or a little bit in one direction, that motor has to spin up to a certain speed and then stop in that direction and then spin up and stop in the opposite direction if you get any sort of vibration. And that is a dampener. It's, well, not dampener. That's damping out the, this, the high frequency feedback that you would get. Yes. And that gives us bad things like road nibble, as it's called, you know, which is like a, a tire nibble, which is a, which a vibration from something being out of round or a, a wheel weight, uh, but also texture. Yes. And if you go from one different type of pavement, that's a very coarse aggregate to a very fine aggregate, you're going to, you're going to drop grip usually. Mm. I want to know. I want to feel that through the wheel. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing that I look for. And e no e-pass system has gotten high frequency stuff right. BMW actually put a tuned um, resonator on the steering column so that it would ring basically under a bump. So you'd hit a bump and the steering wheel would vibrate in your hands. Boom. Um, Ooh, does it feel authentic? No. 
No, I mean, and they did that to address all the complaints that there was no high frequency feedback. And so basically it's like ringing a fucking bell every single time. And so you think when you first get in the car, oh, there's actual feedback, I feel something. And you realize it's always the same exact fucking frequency. Yeah. It's dung, 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 dung. It's just, it's a bad resonance that they inserted mm. um, to try to shut people like me up or customers who are like, this doesn't, it feels dead. Mm. Um, but I have a really big problem with, with as you said, the every car company putting stuff back in that they've taken out because it doesn't work once it's out it's gone yeah we can detect the difference um which you know, leads us to the, the hyundai Velo- uh sorry the ionic 5n mm. which now has simulated gear shifts mm-hmm. and bmw and noises is, bmw is looking at well i mean literally gear shifts like yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and then bmw is looking at can and should they make a manual transmission simulator with an electric vehicle with a vibrating element in the shifter so that you feel a vib- the vibration of the motor that you would normally feel, um, or the, I'm sorry, the engine, yeah. um, to help you encourage. And I just think, just no. Either, either have it authentic or forget about it and move on to what's next. But that but center... What is next and how... What's next is EVs. Yeah, I know. And... It's not yeah. a, it's a little, listen, I mean, this is the most curmudgeon thing I've ever said, but it's fucking over. Um, the, the, the era of internal combustion engines and manual transmissions is just done. And I don't like it. I don't want it, but I do. And this is going to be incredibly controversial. I do believe it's probably the right thing to do. Um, but thank God we're allowed to have old cars. Yes. That's, I that's mean, all what it, I mean, that is the core of it right there uh exceptions exist they are very much exceptions all modern cars the the only modern you have to cars. try the gordon murray car yeah i'm afraid to i mean can you imagine it sucks like i don't think it's going to suck i would actually cry it's not going to suck <sighs> i don't know how could he, how could something that gordon murray touches knowing what we know about him how I would d- he let it out the door i don't know i don't i don't know I don't know, but I, I mean, I've, I've met a couple of heroes and been pretty disappointed, but I would actually cry if I got in that car and if it, it was boring. I, but forget about the, the million dollar Or like cars. the, the Roof uh, SCR. That wasn't boring. That's fucking pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> really it's, fucking good. They're, they're out there. They're out there, but you're talking I mean, yeah, million so like, dollar yeah, cars. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then you get down to normal places, like obviously ND and GT86 would be the... Yeah. the and, and benchmarks. GR, GR86. GR86, GR86. In slash BRZ is my top modern car like obviously i said you know raptor is my favorite car in production yes but it's one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. you're going for 40k over sticker you know it's it's a big huge truck and it made me laugh and it's stupid but what's the car that i find the most enjoyable to drive that's reasonably it's it's gr86 without question even more so than miata because miata is a you know a two-seat convertible toy um you put that up against something from 15 years ago and it's just not as interactive. 23 right? years ago. <laughs> or 23 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, there are some, some highlights, but if you asked me what cars on the market I would buy with my own money now, I think we're at a historical low. Um, and I think people would be really surprised to see what they were because a lot of it is me giving in and saying this is just we are at a point where nothing is fun so i'm going to give in and have a transportation pod like an e-golf i mean i i put my money where my mouth is on that one and i just i just need one thing that works and conveys me from a to b and doesn't give i mean this is lights. sort of the uh this is the two-car solution thing here this is the experience that i had that made me buy an e-golf which was spending an entire day driving the Miura around when it was a hundred degrees. Like, and I was just like, I'd rather walk. Yeah. And then, and then you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I think you needed the Miura for the revelations episode or something. So I left the Miura at your house and took the e-golf home. And then I was like, holy fuck, this is the perfect two car solution, right? One is just entirely experienced, too much experience and assault on the senses and everything else that is holy. Uh, And then, you know, e-golf, which is just like, amazing you know in in the completely opposite way right 
but I, you know, I find two car solutions generally to be like super fascinating. And that to me was like a very, a Mura and um, an Eagle for the, yeah. I mean, it doesn't really work because you can't go on road trips, but that's I mean, true. But my two car solution with a Mura would be a Tesla model something. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I say. Like I, I think most people would really dis- be disappointed, but I'd probably just buy a model Y or a model three as a, as a concession that like the modern stuff that's supposed to be fun just fucking isn't authentically fun you know i'd be rs6 it's have you driven it Mm, not much it's not fun is the e63 more fun yeah e63 is more fun but it's Mm. not well the the new one's going to be a four-cylinder i'm sure i mean but it's just they're not as fun as they should be and they're not as fast as they should be and so you get out of a model s oh yes okay fine compared to a model yes yes i drove i drove a chrysler 200s around uh around the city this weekend and i had to drop a friend off at uh the sf marathon at 4 45 in the morning whatever there's no one around uh, except a GTI. There was a GTI with the worst crackle tune I've ever heard in my fucking life. Every time he lifted off the accelerator pedal, it even from like a tiny little bit of throttle, like 10% throttle to 6% throttle, it was terrible. Um, I mean, I'm all for a good crackle tune, but do it when you lift off from full throttle at four grand, you know, and then shut up. But anyway, it was a DSG Mark 7 GTI, lowered with all kinds of other stuff. And it sounded great when he was on it. And the light, turned green and he floored it and i floored it and this chrysler 200s was faster these things are fucking fast like i hate to even admit it's 300 horsepower front wheel drive car that does only only weighs 30 some 3500 pounds fucking psychotically fast and i realized that as psychotically stupidly fast as that thing was while i was racing the gti and <clears throat> beating them um the of course under the speed limit on a closed that course. goes without yeah. saying um the e-golf would have destroyed both of the cars because by the time this stupid fucking nine-speed downshifted, e-golf would have already pulled a half a car length. Um, and, you know, his turbo is waiting to spool in the in the GTI, and the DSG is trying to figure out how to fart its way up to 5,000 RPM, and it's just... <laughs> gone. The e-golf is 8.4 to 60 versus 5.6 probably for that, for that Chrysler. Um, and the e-golf is faster around town. And once you yeah, live with I that, I hate to be... Like I'm mad at myself for being not curmudgeonly enough and saying the the new stuff is better, but I don't want to go back to a car that's got an internal combustion engine and all of the noise comes out of speakers and it's got a resonant fucking noise generator on the steering column to make it pretend that it's, no, I don't want simulated anything. I want either the real shit or what's next. And so Hmm. give me a Tesla Model 3. Give me Ionic 5, which I haven't driven. Well, this is why you like the Raptor. Yeah. There's nothing sort of synthetic about that car. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the appeal Um, of it. That's true. It is, it is authentically what it says it should be, whereas the ultimate driving machine Using the strictest definition of authentic. Yeah. I mean... That you can apply to a modern car, I guess, is the caveat there yeah something with a laggy turbocharged engine and an automatic shouldn't be considered a sports car Mm. um i just think that's uh you know bmw i bring up as because of the worst offenders right they're still pretending that they're making the ultimate driving machine they're calling it that it's on the window sticker it's on the the owner's manual it's on everywhere but these are very much mercedes in their philosophy this isolation tank um, but then they try to add in fake noises and fake feels and fake yeah, all this add shit. in fake authenticity, which fake, is fake farts on upshifts, yeah. fake you know crackles on downshifts. I just don't. It's not me. Um, and sort of wrap I it all think the way. a lot of consumers are okay with that. Yeah, of course, because they're and here's the thing: is because they're better transportation devices than the old stuff was. Well, yes, and I think there's an element also of these people who have not had you know, the experience with something authentic. And so they can't identify the difference between authenticity and not. It's the same thing that happens with, like I was talking about with pre-war cars or whatever. If you've never interacted with something authentic, you've never done the real thing, then how would you know that the simulation isn't good? It's also a matter of you often don't know what you're missing unless you're reminded of it. So that friend who bought the R129 has a uh, GTI and, and a Quattroporte. 
and the Quattroporte has amazing steering. Um, and so he the, he loves the GTI, but he gets regularly gets into the Quattroporte with amazing steering and is reminded of what he's lost. I think most people don't have that reminder benchmark. And I've thought a lot about selling the Lotus, um, not because the Lotus does anything wrong, but it's kind of, I have too many cars and I just think, okay, well, it's my most modern and it's reliable and it's not, it's the... It's a the great experience, but it doesn't clear. It just doesn't. I don't need another convertible. I have three convertibles, and the Beat is more ridiculous than the Lotuses, and uh, and the Cabriolet is more practical than the Lotuses. Same size on the outside, but I can sit four, four people in it. The engine sounds better. It just it's more silly. But then I drive the Lotus, and I'm like, wait a second. It is my job to to be able to comment on steering. And involvement. And I can't always go back to 30 year old or 40 or 50 year old cars and say, well, compared to the carbureted Ferrari, this intake noise is meh, right? Because I think most people don't have the appetite to go back that far. But the Lotus has, Lotus is OBD2, right? <laughs> it has a computer in it, it's a modern car. Even though, let me tell you something, it was running on three cylinders and would not set a check engine light. I had a coil go bad, and the motherfucking thing, because it's a Toyota and Toyotas are so goddamn amazing, wouldn't set a light Brrr, on three cylinders around my neighborhood. I'm like, just tell me what fucking, which coil it is so I can fucking replace it. Instead, you had to pull them all out. I had to pull them all out, and one looked like shit. I'm like, okay, well, that's the one. Boom, swap the new one in, and it's done. But fucking Toyota. Um, I mean, Toyota's amazing. Like, oh, it's probably like, oh, yeah, it's that one. We'll just shut it off and whoosh, we won't tell anyone. Uh, we'll just shut the injector off. Um, but I think that the Lotus is modern enough that it's it's a benchmark for the best steering probably ever put in a car. And I think from a professional standpoint, I probably need to keep the Lotus as as a palate cleanser. I'm, 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 I just I'm, enjoyed that phrase that you just said. For professional reasons, I have to keep the Lotus. I'm trying to think of it, but... As as an artist, you would I know nothing about art. You would always probably go back and study the classics, um, and study the the things. No, that No, I think that the, the statement, the contextualized the way that you made it, makes plenty of sense. I just enjoyed the absurdity of the phrase. Well, you is, yeah, because you realize I'm just backing into an argument to keep eleven cars. Yes, yeah, we absurd. all do it. Yeah, but the Lotus, but the Lotus is the one that I I would sell first, and it's the one that I should probably professionally sell last. Mm. So if I keep that car for another couple of years, I've had it for five years already. Um, time flies um, or more. I think I'm I approaching think six. Yeah. yeah. Um, my hold on. Holy shit. Might be almost seven. Either way. I think it's yeah six and a half. Uh, it's been a long time. It's been a great run. The car has been wonderful. I enjoy it. Um, and I'm kind of, there's a time and place where you say I've, I've enjoyed this car and, and I'm done with it. Uh, you don't have to on. tell me that. <laughs> I'm terrible about this. But. Who transacts cars yeah. a little bit, maybe too freely. Yeah. But you don't regret selling much, right? No, there's two or three cars that I genuinely regret selling. Yeah. But I regret selling almost everything I've ever sold. That's my problem, is I miss those experiences. You like miss if I your Miata? No. You miss your Porsches? Um, no. <laughs> Do you miss the Pup, the Isuzu? Occasionally. When I, you need to move something. Oh, when I need to move. When I have the minivan now. The minivan is a better pickup truck than the pickup truck was. Because it's okay, got fuel injection. So you don't... So... so. <laughs> I really miss my Mark III VR6 Golf. I built a four-door VR6 Golf. Yeah. I, I really miss I that mean, car that for the noise. engine. Yeah. It wasn't the car. The Mark III is a... Mine was a Mexican-built, rusty piece of shit. Uh, I mean, it uh, rusted in a climate-controlled, air-conditioned, dehumidified <clears throat> garage in Florida by the time it had... Uh, 29,174 miles on it when I bought it. It had two hatches replaced under warranty. Brilliant. Are us. they all that bad? I hope not. Uh, Mark three VR6, do you think that's a bit of a sleeper in the market for yeah. enthusiasts? Yeah, the only thing I don't Are like about fun? it, was, it was only a it was only a two-door in the US right. and I wanted a four-door. Um, they are fun. They're geared too long to be, um, to be as quick as they should have been. I always um, in, am intrigued or play with the idea of that if you could find one. The problem is they're impossible to find. They rusted. But a them. VR6 one, you know, because that engine, I, I adore listening to that engine. So just thinking about what, what package would I want that in? Cabrio. Know, not a... That's what I sold wanted. that? No, but it swaps right into a Cabrio. Oh, oh, oh. I've I really thought about that, but do I really need two hot-rotted Volkswagen Cabrio, Cabrio no, you, no, you do not. I mean, obviously, you the should. real answer is Eurovan. No, I'm just kidding. No, That's but I mean, that, that motor in a cabrio, if somebody made a short gear set for it, I'd probably already have done it. 
mm. um, because that is one of the best acoustic experiences in the history of the automobile. Um, that's a big statement, but I stand by it. Um, and, and because mine was a 94, it would have been Radwood. Shit. Now I got to go build a VR6 bitch basket. Great. There was a great, uh, at, at Waterfest, which is a big uh, East Coast Volkswagen show years ago, uh, there was a great cabbie. It was a, I think it was a black, black cabbie, and the license plate was VR Bitch Basket. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect plate for that car. I've always wanted a VR Bitch Basket, but um, I regret my E39s. I shouldn't say I don't regret, but I really enjoyed the E39 525i automatic wagon as a daily. Um but I think the golf is the car that I miss the most. Mm. Okay. Um, but yeah, that, uh, and we're back to Radwood stuff. I mean, really the, the authenticity of eighties and nineties cars was I think peak because they were computer controlled. So enough that they were reliable and did what you asked them to do, but never overrode you. Mm. Um, and that's why I think those cars are special. I still now. find that era ever so slightly too sanitized but uh, maybe not for daily use. And it also a reflection of my geriatric nature, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 60s, 70s stuff. To, it's funny enough, I think 70s stuff was the peak of drivability and fun. Um, late Which is 70s. funny because it's all malaise. There were so few Some of driver's it, okay. cars during that era. Well, I guess the problem is that I have a bunch of cars that were actually engineered in the 70s, but then made in the 80s. Uh, yes. So the... Um, like the, my VWs, the, that chassis went into production in 74. And even though the cabbie and the, and the Scirocco are 88 and 87, they are effectively seven early seventies cars. Yeah. Um, and the two, three sixteen, the Mercedes one ninety, it's an 85, but that was engineered in the late seventies. Yeah. Um, so I kind of think that was when we sort of hit the peak of like, okay, let's just make the car do what you ask it to do. Yes. I, I have no, I would say I have considerably less interest to daily a car from that, from the sixties or seventies, yeah. but experientially, I think they do have an edge. Yeah. So if you're looking for well-roundedness or you just want something you're going to use occasionally and you want no bullshit, there's the, that era, especially of EFI. I mean, you CIS. get into like, you could totally daily a CRX SI. Yeah. Like, think about that. I mean, that yeah. car is modern, other than safety equipment. Um, yes. You know, that you get in it, it will start every time. It's never giving you any bullshit. It's going to get 35 miles per gallon and yep. you know, put smiles on your face. And it's a Honda. It works. Neat, neat, neat era of cars and a wonderful flashback. Um, Thank you, Radwood. Show. Thank you, we'll Radwood. We'll see you for the next one. Yeah. Uh, we'll also see you for the next Carmudgeon show. Yes. The, I don't know, maybe it'd be the 108th or something like that. Would this anyway, be, we're I coming up on Pebble Beach Car Week. So we are? Yeah, we're yeah. going to have to do something for that, aren't we? Shit. I, I guess we'll go. <laughs> I'll be there. Yeah. I don't want it to turn into a work event, but I guess, you know, for the love of all things that I hate, I will, like people and cars and, and you, I will be there. Okay. See you there. Talk.